Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. What you looking at, punk? I kicked your heart out. Get on, man. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, starting August 1st, students are going to be allowed to carry guns onto campus. Do you still want to come down to Houston and give a talk? <laughs> I, I think that everybody should just be, it should be obligatory to carry a gun. That way you just never know. It could be like Wild West rules. I, I feel like the, it's going to be the kooks who are concealing the, the weapons. But if you just absolutely knew for sure that everybody in the classroom had a gun, including the professor, I feel like it would be a little safer. Mutual assured disruption kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so this issue, which I, we just voted for it, I don't, I don't remember when it was on the ballot. It is an issue that has not brought out the best in the <laughs> academic community, to put it mildly, to put it very mildly. So this is, okay, so this is, this is now a new law across all University of Texas? Uh, p- public institutions. Concealed carry on campus. I believe it's concealed carry. And now, and you know, there will be certain places where they, where they can't have it, but they will be able to have it in the classroom. I can just imagine just the University of Houston turning into like a an Wild West show. Well, like, you, if, you looked at start. My, if you looked at my Facebook feed, you <laughs> would think that that's about to happen. This, I, I'm serious. Like this, like all the sort of sanctimony, the self-righteousness, the hysteria, the hypocrisy, the cowardice, and just the irrationality of some of these people on my Facebook feed that they would never, ever tolerate from the right wing if it were coming on another issue. But for some reason, for this issue, everybody is allowed to engage in that kind of paranoia that if it was coming, say, on the issue of Islamic terrorism or something like that, they would vigorously condemn it and mock it for being irrational. And it's, and it's really unbelievable. So here, unfortunately, my university is at the forefront of this because of a— right, pa- so, Sorry, I was just going to say it sounds like, for the record, you're, you're fervently pro-guns. No, um. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> pro-guns. If, you, if, I if, if, I was, if I was dictator, <laughs> I would say, no, don't allow students to carry guns on campus. What I'm anti— is the way people are responding to this. Sanctimonious, we should all resign because we can't do our jobs. 
I no longer feel safe in the workplace. Right. And welcome to being a public school teacher in Los Angeles. <laughs> so here's <laughs> so the, our faculty senate, the University of Houston faculty senate, made the news, not in a good way, but with a PowerPoint slide on <laughs> informing the university, our university community about this new law and making some suggestions and just sort of clarifying what the law was. And there is this one slide that made all the rounds, like Slate, The Chronicle, um, and here's what this slide said. Okay? Are you ready? Yes. So once the law goes into effect, it hasn't yet, but it starts August 1st, it says, you may want to, bullet point one, be careful discussing sensitive topics. Bullet point two, drop certain topics from your curriculum. Bullet point three, not, quote, go there if you sense anger. That's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst one, I think. Uh, or no, there, I'm not even <laughs> sure if that's the worst one, because wait till the last one. <laughs> Limit student access off hours. I'm not sure what that means. Go to appointment only office hours. Well, that's just a good idea. And then, yeah, that that's probably. <laughs> and then the last bullet point is. Only meet, quote, that student, unquote, in controlled circumstances. What, what do they mean by that student? And, yeah, and what do they mean by controlled circumstances? Uh, um, <laughs> like, but, is there a situation in which them carrying a concealed weapon will be more controllable for you? Um, if it's and who yeah, is that student? Like that student is it? It's, it's definitely not student. the student that's like brandishing guns in class and like threatening to kill you because then. Uh, you're not going to meet them in controlled circumstances. You're going to so no. You know what? I'll, I'm sure you're going to defend your liberal brethren. And I, I I'm a liberal too, but like the academic left brethren and sisthren. What is it? <laughs> I don't. Know. So go ahead. I, I do it. I defend just got your a. Um... No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to defend. You're the. You're the liberal East Coast Boston Brahmin. <laughs> um, I was just chuckling to myself because I picture Yosemite Sam, like just a bunch of Yosemite Sams in the classroom, just popping off their guns in the air. <laughs> like every time you say something, they agree with. <laughs> yeah, I like. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the ironies is that. <laughs> Like, I, I wish my students would engage with the material enough to the point where I was even remotely worried about them getting angry enough to shoot me in class. Like, I, so, I, like, I would love for students. <laughs> I, they are so focused right now on just, especially at this time in the semester, they're so focused on, like, what do I have to do to get the grade I need for this? Like, they're very, there's so much just means-end reasoning right now. And right. I don't think that they'll think, okay, the best thing I could do right now is get angry and start shooting up the classroom. And is it, I also just like just the idea that, that you were – I mean, uh, obviously like the not go there if you sense anger <laughs> is ridiculous like and obviously written by like a 65-year-old. But the, the, <laughs> the idea that you would drop certain topics from your curriculum uh, or be careful discussing sensitive subjects just seems – it. If if there was even the hint of evidence that you know allowing guns on campus raises the risk of a shooting, say when you're discussing abortion or what, 
Like, right. Well, I mean, that's a good question. Is there any evidence that conceal and carry laws in public places um, increase gun no, violence? No, not at all. It's, so there's, are, and you're sure about that? No. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. but I, 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 I'm pretty sure that there's not. And I also know that other campuses do allow it, and there's never been a, a shooting at those campuses, and there have been plenty of shootings. At, I mean, think about it just intuitively, right? The kind of person who's going to shoot somebody in a classroom, right, or a professor or other students in a classroom, are they the kind of person that wait until August 1st so the law goes into effect so that they can now, for the first time ever, bring guns on? Like, where I see this law being a problem, and this is why I would ban it, I don't feel unsafe by it at all, but I see this more a problem like... If they're in dorms or something like that, and just one of those drunken fights that you sometimes get into in college, and now all yeah. of a sudden it's like swingers, you know, somebody pulls out a gun, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 like that's what I would worry about. Well, that that's my that's my concern, and I and I have to say, you know, I I agree that the the risk is there, really. Like somebody who's going to do a shooting um, is not the sort of person who's going to get a concealed carry permit, but uh, but I do wonder about myself in certain situations when I was younger having a gun just on me <clears throat> right and Why? whether that you, would have tempted would you, me to, what would you have done I want to hear this I mean I, I, I just am, I think that just the chances of me pulling out a gun and escalating um, like escalating an argument just an, an argument just getting getting angry driving in California for instance I you know I don't know that I would have had the self-control not to brandish I don't. I don't know that I would shoot anybody, but but I might brandish just thinking like, well, I'm gonna pull out my gun and scare the shit. Pull up your shirt a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. keep walking. Uh, so, so, I mean, there's one way in which just if if the base rate of guns out there increases, the chances that somebody are going to use it just necessarily increases. Right. Right. Um. And and so I can see why. For instance, you would get a bit nervous if if, for, if you knew that everybody in your classroom had a gun on them or a knife or something like that. It's it's not a to me. It's not a comfortable situation to know that that people have a gun, actually wearing a gun underneath their summer dress or whatever. I, um, <laughs> that would be kind of hot. <laughs> I knew you were going to go. I was just trying not to be sexist and, and make it up. But that student, I wanted to be a girl in a summer dress, like yeah. quote unquote, that student, a young woman, I should say. <laughs> so I can see why people are upset. I agree with you that there's a bunch of hysteria surrounding guns in general. Um, uh, uh, right. Liberals just love to get outraged at guns. Without knowing the data, <clears throat> like in the same way that they get mad at at people and rightly so you know who who are scared about letting syrian refugees in in the country or something like that even though there's no evidence that that increases anybody's risk and that more toddlers have killed people than terrorists have killed americans right. since 9 and more 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 toddlers more children die like drowning in one inch of water in a backyard pool yeah. um than <clears throat> and and i think that that there is the problem of of violence in this country um, and gun violence in particular, but I I would put money on that the vast majority of that is done with illegal guns. And I actually would venture to say that no, very, very few people I know who are really, really opposed to guns 
um, have ever even bothered to read. For instance, there's a guy named Gary Kleck, who's, I I think, the biggest proponent of this more guns, less crime. Um, And whether he's right or not, he does does a decent job, at least, of trying to mount a data-based argument. And it turns out the data is just really hard to get on this stuff because it's, it's very hard, for instance, to know how many crimes are prevented. For instance, you know, a Korean grocer in South Central Los Angeles... Um, who had a shotgun behind the desk, uh, behind the cash register, who knows if that actually prevented people from holding up their stores. Right. I know in the riots, it certainly prevented, you know, there were a, a bunch of these great pictures of Korean grocers sitting on their roof with their shotguns across their lap. And there's there's where the stores that didn't get broken into. Um, and I'm sure they were the kind of people who got the permits. Um, and that's so, when, like, I'm going to need a gun is when <laughs> Eliza turns, like, 15. <laughs> I think Eliza just should get a gun at that point. <laughs> you just, like, it'll just be a standoff, me and her. I'm going out with this guy. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay, make a move towards the door then. She could she could just like graze your ear with a warning with a warning right. shot because <laughs> I guarantee you by that time you'll be like getting the shakes if you hadn't had your your drink of bourbon for the day <laughs> shoot the gun out of my hand and then yeah. yeah so but but you know I am I all things being equal I would rather students not be bringing guns into the classroom but I agree I tend to agree with you about the the hysteria and this is not the right way to approach it the right way to approach it if you want to mount an argument is is with good evidence based arguments and I. I just don't see it happening. And the idea that um, you would resign, of course, nobody's actually going to resign. It's sort of like Chris Rock said at the Oscars, like mm-hmm. it's only people without jobs that ask you not like not to, to quit right. your job. Right. Uh, what would we do? <laughs> what the right. hell would we do? Exactly. <laughs> no. And I really hate the, the, you know, all of a sudden sort of that PowerPoint, that PowerPoint was just is so ridiculous. not go there. If you said it drop certain topics from your curriculum, you know, we're all, I'm sorry to say this, but then you're always in danger. If that's the case, <clears throat> you're, you, there is nothing about a gun that makes you particularly less likely to get confronted right. um, by a student. And I agree with you that like, it, it would almost be nice if somebody got so mad, you know, <laughs> yeah. what if somebody was like, you know, internalism is bullshit, dude. <laughs> it gets so angry that I'm an externalist for life. And I just pull out a gun. Peter Singer can go to hell and I'll go with him. Um, I think that there there is an interesting interesting um, pedagogical sort of opportunity here to <clears throat> in philosophy or in psychology or in statistics or in sociology courses to actually start looking at the data, use this right. as a way to talk about it. Well, here's, and I think that would actually diffuse some of the tension. Now, we should say, if there is some sort of gun assault on campus, that person will have to be punished. There's a question of how that person should be punished, and that's the topic of our show today, which is a, a paper by Dan Kahan entitled, Or What Do Alternative Sanctions Mean? Yeah, and I should say we've we've talked about uh, uh, Dan Kahn in previous podcasts. I I believe that one of his co-authored articles um, was in my. We did a top five articles uh, listicle episode 
I don't know, way back when. Yeah. And he's done some great work on motivated reasoning. This is an older paper in, in a law review, but it's a great paper. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's great, and I think that— Yeah, so let's talk about it. And now that based on what you just said, well, I guess it's Skype, so even if you do brandish a gun at me— um... I was just thinking, you know, it, in some of our arguments— it would have been just just nice to have like at least a little device that would deliver a shock to <laughs> to you in the middle of our arguments <laughs> so that you could be at least a little intimidated which is the one if you like which is the one that you would have like done whatever the long distance equivalent of well the, probably the, old, the 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 argument that we didn't air fully where we had this huge argument and we couldn't play it and we just excerpted <laughs> uh, like yeah. like just I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> yeah. I think it was about trigger warnings. Oh yeah. It yeah, was yeah, our first foray into that, which should have been a sign that we should never discuss it again. <laughs> and we got you know, we yeah. Um the amount of people we get requesting that we talk about these sorts of things again is, is Yeah, it's not happening. A little distress. It's just it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> Yeah, we know. No, it's a literal trigger warning now. <laughs> so, that's we're gonna have to give like literal trigger warnings at the University of Houston. <laughs> like, um, trigger warnings. I think that the most important, by the way, to wrap up this conversation, really, the most important thing is to train all of these people in target practice. <laughs> if you have it coming, you know, maybe you deserve to be shot. Right. But what you don't deserve is to catch a stray. Right. That's right. And I, and if I'm going to be taken out, and I understand that I, I might like after all this, won't it be ironic when I just get shot in my classroom? But I want it. I want to like a clean death. I don't want to be shot like in the gut or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that ugly that ugly death. You know, um, I I have a quick story to tell about um, about this. When I was living in uh, for a summer, I lived in East Los Angeles um, to be a counselor at a day camp. Um, for kids, you know, between know, six and 12 years old or something like that. And where I lived in East Los Angeles, um, some people might know, it was just a heavy, heavily populated gang, gang territory. And the, the building that I lived in was on the corner of that separated four different gangs um, in East Los Angeles and First Street and Fourth Street for those who who might know. Um, and Cesar Chavez Boulevard, ironically. And uh, they... This was the mid '90s, and the violence was uh, from drive-bys was really, really bad. And the Mexican mafia, which is run out of prison and essentially controls the drug flow into Los Angeles, Southern California, and many other parts of the country, they were kind of tired of of innocent people dying. So they basically said to all the Mexican gangs, um, "If you have to kill somebody, you have to do it point blank." At, you know, go up to them and actually take them out. No more drive-bys. Ah, nice. And there, there would be serious sanctions if anybody was was caught doing the sort of coward drive, drive and shoot. Honorable. Um, so if you're going to do it, it you got to do it the honorable way. Yeah. And that summer, one of the kids, I remember his his cousin got shot that way. Um, people just in broad daylight walked up to him, just popped one in his head and walked right away. And for for what it's worth, you know, I think that. <laughs> I, I think it worked to to prevent innocent people from getting killed. I mean, it, and it makes it makes you sort of have to get over some natural constraints of looking somebody directly in the face when you shoot at them. Right. It's you know, like um, the on. I don't know if anybody the, 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 exactly. Yeah, 
And I think, no, that does make a difference, right? It's like drive-bys are, you're just spraying. And it's not, but it's different than looking a person in the the eye. You know what, like, the new drive-by are drones. Mm. (laughs) Drones are the new drive-by in the sense of, you know, taking... We like to think that they have surgical precision, but... (laughs) But yeah, we talked a little bit about this in our in our robot killing um, podcast. Yeah, but but yeah, these drone operators, man, I feel bad for them. Uh, I feel bad for the people who are like have drones circling over there. I feel their yes, I feel more. <laughs> I feel way more bad for them too. <laughs> I should say that. <laughs> Just to be clear, should we take a break and talk about the paper? Yes, let's do that. All right. All right. Back to very bad wizards. Just like to take a moment to thank everybody who supported us. Um, uh, we really appreciate the PayPal donations, the T-shirts. T-shirt campaign ended, so thank you all who listened to last episode. Did, did and, you see that and, there was somebody that uh, that sort of made it happen? There were two people actually that made it happen. Who tipped it? Mike Davy. Mike Davy, and also Jennifer Rooney. Jennifer Rooney. So uh, Mike Davy, he kind of told people, all right, we need two more. Jennifer Rooney then bought one and put out the word for another one. And within like, it was a very cool thing. Within like 10 minutes or something, it was done. Right. It was great. So t-shirts are going out. I bought another hoodie. I think I've given out all my t-shirts. And now we're pulling that design and we're going to work on another one. Yeah. So thanks for everybody for supporting us, for for emailing us, tweeting us, uh, giving us iTunes reviews. Those always make us happy. If you want to continue to support us or start to support us, go to our verybadwizards.com slash support. There, there's a PayPal link. You can click to donate and you can click on our Amazon link and make your purchases as you would um, normally. And we'll get a little bit of, of the cut that actually went into getting Tamler a new microphone. Yep. So he sounds extra sexy. That's why. And a um, new interface. And a new interface. This yeah, shit we're getting cost some money. <laughs> it's expensive shit. <laughs> you know, when we have voices that sound like we have tampons stuck in our throat, we have to do everything we can <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> through technology to alter it. And uh, email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet us at verybadwizards, at tamler, at peas, um, and leave us an iTunes review. That helps. I think that's it. Yeah, that, iTunes that helps. We're, so we're told. You probably don't listen to the 538 Elections podcast. 
I don't. But um, they always say that iTunes reviews help. I like. I like. Yeah, it. iTunes is surprisingly secretive with how exactly they rank podcasts, but yeah. but it it definitely helps my self esteem. I would support if the government wanted to like make them release their algorithm, like they're trying to do with Apple, to get into Forget. that guy's phone. <laughs> Make iTunes. You want to know how they re- how they rank yeah. podcasts on iTunes? Exactly. You just want to you want to hack into it. You would you would learn how to program just for that, just, just to get back at those partially examined life guys. Uh, yeah. We're about to we're set up a Patreon account, and um, when we do that, that will allow you to support us by you know donating a small amount, large amount, any amount per episode that we release and um we'll try to put in some extra goodies for people who who subscribe to us in that way yep like uh genuine used t-shirts from tamler we we do love the uh people who email us or tweet us pictures of them in the seriously it makes my day every time it's yeah, not I'm hard very to easily make pleased. It's not. It really isn't difficult. Like, uncomfortably. Most of our most of our lives are just shit. <laughs> just most most occasions. Um, if I were in one of those happiness studies where they like they like ping your phone and ask you to rate how happy you are, I just sort of fear. But like, if you caught me right when somebody had uploaded a picture of their T-shirt, I'd just be off the charts. You, I'd be like, <laughs> right. I'd be as happy as people in like whatever Puerto Rico and Denmark or whatever. <laughs> and you're in Ithaca, right? So that like with me, if I if I if I go into a bit of a funk, there's no danger of me throwing myself off anything. Or you can just go outside and like the sunny weather will like calm you down. You know? If I if I ever get really suicidal, like I just I'll, I'll discuss a sensitive topic in my class. <laughs> That's right. Or maybe I'll go there. <laughs> like I'll have just a regular office hours that's not by appointment. It's not where it really is. Those non-appointment office hours are constantly getting us killed <laughs> as professors. It's really I don't know what people are thinking. <laughs> uh seriously, avoid avoid debates about internalism <clears throat> or about dead ear. All right, let's get into this. Um this was a really good paper called What do alternative sanctions mean? by Dan Kahan, who's a law professor at Yale. So the paper starts out, and it notes, and this was written in 96, but I'd say this is even more true today, that people are dissatisfied with our current system of criminal justice and the massive prison population, the just sort of prison explosion. It asks the question, like, given that we don't love this huge prison population, why aren't we more excited about alternative sanctions. Um, why is that so politically unacceptable to consider these other types of sanctions besides prison imprisonment, given that we think th- we all think the prison population is too big and our criminal justice system relies too much on it? So a lot of people will say it's because people are too vindictive, people are too retributive, people are always crying for blood. Um, But he says, I I don't think that's exactly correct. Rather, the reason we're resistant, politically resistant to alternative sanctions is because of what those alternative sanctions express, what they mean. They don't express condemnation in a dramatic enough way. And then the paper 
which is kind of a masterpiece of structure, right? Like in a way that some of our papers haven't been. This one just very systematically makes this argument, and it's in three parts. The first part defends a a kind of expressive theory of punishment, a, a theory about what we're doing when we punish people. Then part two gives it, uh, an account of what are currently are our, our, our alternative sanctions express, what they mean. And then part three is how can we make these alternative sanctions express condemnation in the proper way so to make them more politically acceptable. It's really clear. It's, I, I urge everybody, we'll post a, a, a link to it. I urge everybody to read it. It's it's really well done. It does even though it's a fairly long paper, it doesn't take too long to read. A lot of it is footnotes. <laughs> yeah, it's right. a law it's a law review. It's a law paper. review paper. So ha- like like right. half there's one page where there's literally like three lines of actual text. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right. We gotta write these some law review papers. They're great. You can you can uh submit to like every law review journal at the same time. Yeah, no, they have and it's all like first or second year grad students that are making the decisions. Yeah, it's bizarre like there the That's way That's right. They do it's things. it is really weird, but 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 some of these law review papers are just great. Um so there's a nice combination of sort of uh a bit of analysis, like a bit of conceptual analysis, but not too much. He's, he he uh Kahan very clearly um says, "Well, look, this is as deep as I'm going to delve into what it means to have this expressive theory of punishment. And he delves, I think, deep enough. Um, and I think that's maybe where I'd like to start talking. This is really a, a wonderful paper, um, and I had never heard of it. Yeah, I just – I, I had it. never re- – and, and I should. Like I work on this topic. Right. And it, I, it just was linked to on like some blog post. And so I suggested that we talk about it, and I'm glad we did. And so I think the fundamental claim is that whatever actions we take in punishment, they they have a meaning. Right. Right. And and that meaning is it's not it doesn't merely boil down to um, retribution or or deterrence, that it is actually saying something and that this is an important part of our moral psychology. um, uh, That is, when we punish, we're not just saying let's keep this person away from society or let's get revenge. What we're saying is we're, we're voicing moral condemnation and we're voicing it publicly. We're as a society saying, I really, really disapprove of what this person did. Right. Um, we're condemning yeah. it and we're affirming the values that, that our yeah. laws are there to enforce. We're affirming them by punishing the person. Right. And I really like the, the, this this aspect of the argument. So so one of the things you could say, well, you're expressing your values by punishing. Um, well, what values do you express? He he just grants that the values and the way in which we express those values are probably largely culturally determined. Right. Right. So it just so happens that in our society in modern day imprisonment, like the removal of liberty, happens to be um, a, a fundamentally sort of accepted way of expressing moral condemnation. And there are other ways that we just don't like in our society, but that other societies might be might be okay with. Right. And we'll get into some of those later, but he draws an interesting distinction between the use of fines in America versus in um, other parts of Western Europe, where in America it's just like paying you're almost just paying a fee in order to to do commit to do a crime. The thing, right it's like buying <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're like buying the crime essentially. exactly yeah you're like well that's how i feel about parking tickets i feel like i'm just paying 
I'm paying extra for the ability to park illegally. So the idea of punishment being a language is is really interesting. And he says the only way we can understand our practices is by conceiving of punishment in that way. It's a language of how we talk to the criminals, and it's also a language of how we talk to the rest of society in which the criminal committed. I love that 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 metaphor. It's a language. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that, and so yeah. there's a couple of criticisms that he that he addresses right off the bat. And it, he's not the first person to defend an expressive theory. Um, right. There was Joel Feinberg has, Gene Hampton, uh, Durkheim, Emil Durkheim. There's, there's the criticism of when you think, if you think of punishment this way, it, you know, you're going to justify, say, punishments of homosexuality, you know, like when Oscar Wilde, putting Oscar Wilde in jail as a right. way of expressing condemnation for homosexuality like you could justify punishing oscar wilde for being gay or punishing anybody for being gay and so basically any value um that your society happens to hold um you could justify punishment on just on the basis of saying that you're expressing society's values and we of course have changed our values quite a bit and it seems seems antiquated um it would seem it would seem horrible if if we had expressed some of those values by punishing um, uh this is the quote from the paper in his famous rejoinder to lord devlin who had used the expressive theory to criticize proposals to, to decriminalize homosexuality hla hart he's a famous philosopher of law assailed this justification for punishment as belonging to the prehistory of morality the idea that we punish offenders against a moral code, not to prevent harm or suffering or even the repetition of the offense, but simply as a means of venting or emphatically expressing moral condemnation, is uncomfortably close to human sacrifice as an expression of religious worship. So how does he respond to that? I mean, one of the things he says is, that, look, there's nothing in the expressivist position that says that you ought to, that, that you ought to punish these, if anything— there is a there is that value that you are expressing that one ought not punish people is just as amenable to this kind of of sanction. Right. So that's um, the really interesting thing. So not only does he correctly point out that obviously you, uh, it doesn't the expressive theory doesn't entail that you express condemnation of things that we shouldn't condemn. Right. Um, but actually, it, it, the expressive theory explains what's wrong with a law like that and what's wrong with punishing people for being gay because, because that's exactly what you're doing. You're expressing con moral condemnation as a society for something that society shouldn't condemn. Right. And, and he does this a lot. It's like he uses the expressive theory as a, as a means of explaining why certain thing, certain objections to expressive theory have force. Yeah. And I think that, that I mean, it's, it's just a good point that whether you're making an argument about retribution or about, or, um, about deterrence or whether you're mounting an argument from this expressive point of view, it's fairly content free. I mean, what you're, you're, it's a different theory of the, what punishment is serving, but it's not really saying what ought to be punished. Right. Not those all. are in all cases, those will be derived from the values of society. There's really no escaping that. There's nothing about the expressivist view in and of itself that says, well, punish more this kind of crime or punish less. So here's one objection I can imagine, say, from the utilitarian, which is they have something built in 
to their theory that would disallow a law like that, which is, you know, assuming homosexuality doesn't carry negative consequences, you wouldn't be allowed to punish somebody for engaging in homosexual homosexual behavior on the consequentialist view. Right. Although, but, but, you know, but as we've seen, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, so, so there are pro- the problems with the consequentialist view that it might especially be used to harshly punish crimes that society doesn't view so seriously just because it would prevent harm. Right. Um, right. So there's certain kinds of harm and and it's, it really ties nicely into the psychology of wrongdoing, right? There are certain kind of har- certain kinds of harm that we can't quantify, but that society really just va- values, um, ha- holds in a different regard. So the same physical harm that somebody gives to another person by beating them up is seen very differently by society if they're shouting the N word and it's a white on black crime than if it's a scuffle over right. you know over a hundred dollars or something and. And so you might say, well, in both cases, the harm to the victim is identical, like the punches delivered and the pain suffered is all identical. Um, but society has this value that we think it's particularly ugly to target someone because of, of their race. Right. He uses um, the example of like a, a hate crime homicide versus a mother who kills the person that right. uh, molested her daughter. And he says right. the reason why we would punish her a lot less is because we condemn her actions way less than we condemn the the person who committed the hate crimes. Right. And so not only is building it on some quantifiable way of punishment particularly difficult because it's hard to qu- uh, quantify suffering, for instance, um, even if you do quantify it, it sort of is equalizing things in a way that society, whether right or wrong, I guess, right, society just doesn't find too palpable we just don't we don't want equivalencies based on this common denominator of say suffering right um, or harm so here's a question and this was an objection that he considers and i think it's an interesting answer um philosophically and psychologically if all we're doing with punishing people is condemning that is condemning what they did and reaffirming values to the contrary then why do we have to punish them at all? Why not just express the combination, uh, the, the condemnation, say that was really bad, do that publicly, and... Right, like a, like just do the little shame sign, you know, the one finger over the other, right. um, and just be like, I disapprove of your rape, and just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think he has, nicely has a couple of things to say about this. Um, the first is the background that he already built into this, which is, he deni- he denies that there needs to be a independent sort of analytic uh notion of expressing uh condemnation that, that is independent from deterrence and retribution he says look i'm saying like it, it's it's conceptually a, a different thing but it is completely wrapped in to our concerns with retribution and deterrence as well. You can't understand so, retribution and deterrence without the expressivist view. <laughs> exactly. But then his his more specific rejoinder is, look, what we're what you'd be doing by publicly denouncing is essentially saying like we don't take it that seriously, right? right. You are you're saying like if you only punish a rapist by by saying like bad rapist, right? Shouldn't have done that. 
what you're by, by failing to impose any other sanction you're you're essentially communicating in this in this language you're communicating that it's not that serious right words and actions have meaning and if you just use words that doesn't express the same meaning than if you punish uh, Joel Feinberg in his original paper on this um had an, another interesting example like let's say an, uh, a pilot goes over enemy airspace that they're not supposed to go over and yeah. If the the country, the pilot's country, just expresses that they shouldn't have done that and that it was wrong but doesn't punish them, the other country is going to think, oh, they're just – they're secretly condoning it. Or And uh, whereas if they actually punish the pilot, that sends the message that they really believe that it was wrong. And this is just obviously true, right? So lip service is not enough in a lot of these cases. You have to show – um, that you really mean the con- condemnation, and that's where some sort of sanction has to come in. But does yeah, it have to it, be imprisonment? Maybe not. Right, right. And um, but but this it what I like about this is it, is it shows nicely um, the contingency of the forms of expression um, are going to you know it, he's not in any way arguing that there couldn't be a society in which public denunciation wouldn't carry with it some serious weight. Right, you can even imagine a small community where public denunciation was enough. Yeah, um, and uh, it just turns out that in our society, for historical reasons and for just the reasons of of you know the large scale society in which we are, in which there's just much less personal interaction with um, with people as you would have in a small community, it's just not enough, and it's trivializing. It's it's really trivializing the seriousness with which you should take the crime. And it also does a nice job of explaining why we've landed sort of a society on something like imprisonment. Imprisonment, the removal of liberty, seems like a nice balance between the more trivial ways of punishing a crime, you know, public denunciation or even fines or something like that that don't convey the seriousness of it. But um, they, but but it doesn't get you into the dangerous territory that <clears throat> we devalue as society where you're employing forms of punishment that we might think of as cruel barbaric and we'll barbaric and we'll get to that um about particularly like in unequal ways of punishing right the things that are communicating something more than just moral condemnation but rather superiority exactly and um, we'll get to that in the um but i want to return to your point about how in defending an expressive theory he doesn't so he thinks there are two ways to do it. Um, one is to just show that it's a whole separate theory of punishment, claim that it's analytically independent. Because certainly one of one of the criticisms of it is that it either reduces to utilitarianism or right. it reduces like your the consequentialist benefits of expressing condemnation or it reduces to retributivism. And what he says is that like he's not going to argue that it doesn't, have conceptual connection to those he's going to argue that you can't understand either of those theories without without referencing the expressive function of punishment retributivists retributivists always have a hard time explaining like and justifying this whole idea of just desserts giving criminals the the punishment that they deserve like there's some sort of platonic matching of punishment and and crime the expressive view actually make some sense of this idea of why a a criminal should be punished in proportion to the severity of their crime because 
that punishment is an expression of more serious condemnation of the the, the offense that the that the criminal uh, committed. And right. like when you compare it to other I defenses of retributivism that involve the original position or just some sort of like Hegelian magical annulment or balancing of the universe that makes a lot more sense yeah I find I find this a really nice way of making sense of of our intuitions about what it means to deserve something because upon reflection it does seem very hard to justify what we mean by proportionality um so uh, so he says on is on page 602 um sort of what you just said is it is also possible to use expressive the expressive view to inform desert on this account an individual deserves punishment when he engages in behavior that conveys disrespect for important values the proper retributive punishment is the one that appropriately expresses condemnation and reaffirms the values that the wrongdoer denies and that's why just boiling it down to um the sensations involved in the suffering of the victim is not enough um, we want to use punishment as a way of express, expressing these values. So we want to say you're an extra bad person if you do this, right? If you callously and cold blood, cold-bloodedly kill someone for money, that's different than killing someone um, who who is attacking your your kid, for instance. Right. Right. It really, even though the both of them are killing, what, what we're using punishment for, it is that metric. That proportionality is based on the values that we as a society have about how a person ought to be. And what I really like about this view is that how a person ought to be part, which is the psychology, I think, of what we expect moral character to be. We really do take into account the kind of person that committed the crime or the kind of person that would be capable of committing the crime. So um, a grisly murder um, in cold blood does seem to us as the work of somebody who deserves... (laughs) A little bit extra, a little bit extra in their punishment. A little bit of extra condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's. So, given that he's actually not a huge fan of imprisonment, certainly not the amount of imprisonment that is um, that we have emphasized in this country, he now considers three different kinds of alternative sanctions, and then argues that the problem with them is that they don't express the right kind of condemnation they're not they're the language is off it's not saying the thing and that and that explains the political dissatisfaction with these forms of punishment so the first that he considers and doesn't endorse any version of is corporate punishment Cor- corporal, corporal punishment, punishment. Yeah. that was maybe <laughs> a freudian slip <laughs> Corporal um, I, I want to quickly, just quickly before we get into these, I want to say we, we kind of glossed over the dissatisfaction with imprisonment. And I, I don't think we need to go into it too much. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons why people both are sort of dissatisfied, at, especially theorists of punishment. Um, and there are all kinds of reasons to think that it, that ought to be changed. Some of them just boil down to the uh, expense um, that is involved in such mass imprisonment, and some of it boils like is actually about the justice of of the imprisonment itself. So there are all kinds. I mean, you can read the paper, but there are all kinds of reasons. I, I take it. I take it as just true that system the works. current system isn't working, and he uses yeah. that effectively. You know, a lot of people. This is true with restorative justice. Like they'll criticize restorative justice without understanding that, and even if those criticisms have some force. The alternative right now has to also be considered. There's no system that's going to be flaw-free. 
the the right. idea is to come up with a system that has the most benefits and the least amount of flaws. Not so. Right. That's really important, and that will come up a lot. All right, so let's yeah, talk about I, why not okay. flogging and whipping <laughs> as, right. uh, as 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 a. Sociologist just wrote a book called "In Defense of Flogging." The same sociologist, I forget his name. Was it a was it a was it an S and M book? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was the guy who wrote this interesting book called "Cop in the Hood" about patrolling. He he spent a year patrolling as a as a as a policeman the streets of Baltimore, and um, he, so he wrote that. And then a later book is called "In Defense of Flogging," but I'm blanking on his hmm. name. But but he gives. An interesting analysis of why that's not going to work, in spite of the fact that it might have it might be really good for deterrence and it might be really good if you're like trying to fulfill retributivist goals like those theories can't explain why we are against flogging, according to Cahan. Right. We weren't always. Right. So so part part of the understanding of why we are against corporal punishment now has to be a historical one. Um. Right. There is you you can imagine one of the one of the really nice points that he makes is it's look, it's not it really isn't that we're so concerned with the degree of harm that we're bringing to to um, the, the people whom we're trying to right? So, so he says, you know, we're giving them plenty of physical harm by putting them in prison. Much worse. Right. We're right. We're opening them up to beatings and sexual assault and all those sorts of things that just happen. Just statistically, we just know that they happen. Like, the longer you're in prison, the more likely some of the things is going to happen. So it's not, it's not, it can't hang on just a simple aversion to causing somebody harm. <clears throat> um, and, and he points out that the, it's not unconstituted. It's not cruel and unusual. Right. Um, no, at least nobody has argued that it's cruel and unusual. It's just that right now we're just, as society, we find this to be a particularly distasteful way of punishing. Um, we punish our kids. I mean, the way I understood it is that's how we punish our kids. And when you punish your kid by— You hit your kid a lot? No, just a little bit. Um, only when I'm trying to express my moral values. Yeah. Um, uh, no, but certainly a lot of people still do. And, you know, one of the things that just comes out in that that sort of punishment is that there is an inherent superiority right. um, of parent to child. And there was very much so corporal punishment used in um, in the practice of slavery. And there, there are all kinds of reasons that as society we, we are communicating something with that kind of physical punishment that we find – to be something that ought not be communicated in in institutional forms of right. punishment, and that that is just inherent inequality. You're saying I am superior to you. I'm um, your parent, I'm, and so it, yeah, it expresses a kind of paternalism yeah. and an inegalitarianism, like a hierarchy. And then I think separate from that are, but but also, I mean, related but separate is just the ugly associations it has with slavery. And this is why it has such power when it's on the screen even. But imagine just like a flogging of a black criminal is that's that's sending a bad message. You know, it's unintentionally expressing certain messages that we don't want to express. In some ways, I like this paper because it's not trying to mount it's not trying to mount a defense of society's values. It's just taking it sort of as it comes. And and I think this is a very nicely realistic view. It's like, look. You know, it could be that flogging is perfect for as a, sort of a, a retro, for retributive reasons and for consequentialist reasons. It might actually fit the bill. 
but um, it just won't fly. And the way that society is right now, for whatever reason, our psychology and our historical circumstances, and he's fine with his contextual understanding of it. He's not making a claim that the ultimate society should ban flogging. Right. Um, <clears throat> Maybe in the ultimate society, they shouldn't. Like, because right. it is a very cost-effective way of expressing condemnation. It's just right. not for us. Right. Um, exactly. Maybe for Singapore, but not maybe. for us. Okay, so then another, the next two he considers are fines and community service. <laughs> right. So these are, this is, I love this discussion, especially of the community service, right? Yeah. I, it's easy to boil that one down to you're punishing them by making them do things that we would normally consider like the act of people with good moral character. Right. I'm virtuous. I'm going yeah, <laughs> to, I'm going to punish you by making you engage in virtuous acts. Talk about expressing the wrong thing. Right. right? <laughs> like, we like to say virtue is its own reward and that, and so we now punish people for doing right. virtuous things. Right. Right. Again, so. it might work. Like for some people it might, uh, it might actually be worse than imp- or more of a deterrent than imprisonment or flogging. <laughs> it might even rehabilitate. It might right? even rehabilitate. I mean... But it's just sending this message that community service is a kind of punishment. And also, he's a, there's, other, there's, there's other things where, like, you know, whatever you make them do, that's also some person's actual job. <laughs> yeah, so, like you're now exp- expressing like what you're doing is actually like what you do when you get up in the morning every day is uh is actually like a punishment that also yeah. sends an inadvertently bad message right right as a punishment you're going to be a tenure professor at the university of houston <laughs> <laughs> and, and have to like see power of your faculty senate um, put out yeah. ridiculous paranoid powerpoint <laughs> fines we we met we alluded to it earlier but Fine sends the message not that the thing is wrong, but that there's a cost to what you're doing. So it's sort of like the the the, yep. the like polluting or something like that. You have to pay an extra tax for polluting or something like that. But you can't yeah. do that for certain crimes. Like it's not just that you get to pay this large sum of money and then you can rape somebody or you can <laughs> uh, assault somebody, right? Uh, just like there's a price for a fancy car, there's a price for committing a crime. Right, and and this this is where who, who knows if, if uh, Alan Fisk had written his I I don't remember where Alan Fisk first expressed oh, his yeah. sort of theory of them, but this is a really nice um, it's nicely consistent with with Alan Fisk's view of of the different modes of relationships that we have in society. And what you're saying essentially is you're taking something that is generally viewed as sacred, that of the moral correction of our citizens, and you're bringing it into the market, the market pricing. Yeah, that's right? a so, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And so it would be like, you don't want somebody to like be able to take a loan out to cover their rape, right? Okay. <laughs> this is just, is just not right. And, and I think that, that that's one way of, of saying what, what Fisk's, relationship modes are doing they're expressing within the context of a certain relationship you're expressing the values that you would hold in that relationship and it just is the case that say you if you and i are friends we don't engage in this sort of market kinds of interactions where i don't i don't if you invite me to dinner at your house i don't pay i don't calculate the cost of the ingredients and time that you use to cook dinner for me and then give it back to you but it would be nice for me to cook for you right (laughs) because you've never invited me um well, uh, yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. And then there's all quite, there are all kind of complications with fines about, you know, what it means to have an equivalent form of punishment for a poor person versus a rich person. Right. Um, that are just sort of logistical problems 
but that um, you could like you could make to work out. You could overcome them. Yeah, you right? could overcome yeah. them if you were only committed to a retributivist or a consequentialist uh, yeah. understanding. So, right. Uh, but as he argues, that's not. It's just the problem is fundamentally that it's expressing something that we don't want to express. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll talk about Cahan's ideas about how to make some of these alternative sanctions send the right message and, and therefore make them more politically acceptable. Right. J'ai voulu me racheter... Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We are talking about Dan Cahan's excellent paper, What Alternative Sanctions Mean. So far, we've been agreeing to the point where it's uncomfortable. It's almost like a professional podcast, like where we're we're talking, like this is like lesson one of a MOOC. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is... It's a, it's un, it's almost unacceptable. Um. If if like a mook by a professor who sounds like he has a tampon stuck <laughs> down his throat. So uh. let's see if we can find places to disagree. We're now up to the sort of final section of the paper, um, which is where he suggests what can we do to make some of these alternative sanctions like fining and community service not corporal punishment he thinks that's just not going to work but what can we do to make these other things um, express the proper condemnation and therefore be punishments that people will find to be acceptable right and so so i like i i, I really like up until now this the um the what he's built up until now and and he's built sort of this case for wide widening like i like to think of it as a sort of widening the spectrum of available punishments right saying like we we're just all our eggs are in this one basket and it's understandable this is why it happens but it's really become a problem so can we just go back and see what other kinds of punishments might meet our desire for retribution deterrence um as well as to express properly the values that we hold in society and that's where, where what brings us to this section on shame. 
And and I suspect maybe here is where we might have different opinions as to whether or not. So the big yeah, that's the, and that's the big solution is to take some of these alternative sanctions but add elements of shame and stigma to them. And if you do that, if you stigmatize people while they're doing community service or while they're paying fines or do community service in kind of creative public ways that that shame them and that express the proper message, then we might be able to do these fines or these community service sanctions or some combination of prison and all of those and and have people accept that as 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 sending the right message to society and to the criminal. So shame, that's the big one. Shame. Right. And I and I think the reason it's the big one is because shaming has a long history in our in our human evolution as a way of um, motivating proper behavior and punishing people when they violate a community's norms. And so we're psychologically very attuned to shame, both when we are the shamers and when we are the shamees. You know, in terms of deterrence, it's a, you know, we'll do a lot to avoid being shamed. And in terms of you know, just desserts. If that's the way you're thinking about it, shaming is a, it, you are suffering when you are shamed by your community. And, and you're sh- suffering, you're su- yeah, you're suffering specifically because you have some internalized notion of the infraction that you've committed. That right. shame requires everybody to understand <clears throat> that an infraction has occurred. Right. Um, and right, you just wouldn't feel it <clears throat> if you didn't you didn't have some notion about the the norm that you had violated, and the reason, and yeah, exactly. So shame is, uh, is 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 specifically psychologically in our moral psychology tied to the idea of norm violation, which makes it the a perfect choice in some ways for expressing condemnation of violating a norm. Right. So. How do you do this, though? That's the issue. What? How can you attach shame to some of these alternative sanctions without sending the wrong message in just the same way that you were, say, for corporal punishment? Or you know, like right. so. That's that's the question. And if if you if you have to complain about this paper, maybe this is where some of the details on this are a little fuzzy. You know, I want to point out that that it's not that shame isn't already present in, for instance, imprisonment. Right. Right. Shame. Shame is part of being what it's like the expected force of imprisonment in part is because it is it is shameful to be. Right. So I know people who have who've been in prison and like their their reactions, they don't want anybody to know. Right. They like they'd rather actually not tell people um, than have them visit. Is a great deal of shame associated, right? With and prison, shame but, for the family, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's particularly expensive and way of expressing shame. So there's some maybe if you can attach shame to cheaper sanctions, then then it would have the same power, but without all of the downsides. So some of the ways that he talks about that people have done it are, you know, you have drunk drivers have license plates that say they were drunk drivers. Or I remember I heard, I think it was a This American Life, about a judge who, when kids would shoplift, they would make (laughs) them hold up a sign saying, I am a shoplifter in front of the store. And that was 
that was their punishment. It's funny. There are two types of objections to the kind of shaming, th- that kind of shaming practice that doesn't involve imprinci- uh, imprisonment. One is that it's too lenient. It's not going to work. They won't care. Um, if if you're a criminal, you're not right. going to feel sh- like the whole point of why you did these things is because you don't you, observe these. You're ones. shameless, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're shameless. And then there's another one, which is it's too too humiliating. Yeah. Uh, it carries sort of unpleasant associations with like the scarlet letter, right? Exactly. Like, uh, you know, wearing the A around. And just the fact that you have both those criticisms is sort of interesting. Um, in some ways, they sort of work to mitigate each other. But but right. but okay, I think so both this, of them are, are, are issues. This is and this is my problem with it. Yeah. Right? And I should say there's a, a the friend of mine, Jennifer Jackwit, wrote a lovely book on shame that's more recent. And uh, she's is think, it out? Is it is it just? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Her book is out. Um, uh, we'll put a link to it. Um and in fact, she's at least sometimes a listener. So, so maybe we can have her on to talk about uh, reviewing sort of the recent psychological stuff on shame. Just to clarify, um, but, Dan Kahan is not a friend, right? Somehow, no, I don't know him. Wow, no, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I like to think I like to think of strangers as friends I just haven't met yet. That's like The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, you can um, always depend on kindness of strangers so here here's my problem with shame is it's surprisingly hard to calibrate i think that that point that you just made is is the one that i find to be fundamentally problematic with shame it is uh, unlike say sentencing guidelines that say for you know one you know three days in prison or 25 to life or something like that um shame shame depends so much on the psychology of the person being shamed and on the judge's notion of what would be the right level of shame that I, I've, I am wary of it um, for both of those reasons. I think both of those objections are, are good ones. Um, there's, just, I mean, let me there's, just say one thing to the first yeah. point, though. Like 10 years imprisonment is on a superficial level, say, easy to calibrate. Yeah. But like people are going to respond to 10 years in prison very differently. Yeah. Like, no, I would probably granted. respond to that very differently than uh, than some other people would respond to it. I, so granted, like the it's a problem in across in the, the board. everybody's across the board. Everybody's going to take take these these sanctions you know, in a, in a sort of idiosyncratic fashion, they'll re- respond to them. But there is something about what it means to be separated from society for a year that I think is fundamentally just a, an easier way to understand what it is you're doing to a person, right? You, you are in right. removing liberty is in some ways independent of the psychology of the agent, right? You are telling them you cannot have the right to go out and, you know, go go wherever you want for it for an entire year and then whatever also sanctions come along with imprisonment after the imprisonment you some cases you can't vote for a while or whatever it's it's just hard, a, very it's hard bit, to get a job very hard to get a job if you're convicted of a felony i will grant that in some like i love this there's some just ways in which you think look as a retributivist this just fits the bill. So, so it points out page 633. In New York, a slumlord was sentenced to house arrest in one of his rat-infested tenements, where tenants greeted him with the banner, Welcome, you reptile. That I mean, that if that's not justice, I don't know what is. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but whether or not, the, the reason I like that is that whether or not he's shamed, he has to live in his own filth, yeah. like the, the filth that he was causing other people to live in. No, so. if you can get it right, 
it, there's something about it that's 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 very perfect, right? Like right. That it's well, very perfect. Writing tip: you don't need to put "very" in front of the word "perfect." <laughs> so uh, the so, but I agree that it it sounds great, but it can be very hard to get these things to actually fit, especially in a society like ours. Like in a small community, there could be really easy and effective ways to calibrate shame because people depend on each other, know each other. But in a larger one, like it, I this 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 American life, it was interesting. Like at first. First, you were sort of cheering for the judge and thinking this is a great penalty. And then you realized that yeah. the kids didn't care. Like people were honking and like cheering her and slapping her five sometimes. And then it was just like, wait, is this actually working as a deterrent, as any kind of expression? Is this uh, – and, and, and I think that is – that's – yeah, the hard part right. again. I think it's true of you know for some people, prison is a rite of passage. It's like a point of pride that you serve some time. So I mean, you're going to have this problem at some level. But what you don't want is it to be only scratching the itch of the judge, right? That's what you don't want, right? You don't because because at least you know that if you put someone in prison for a year, um, right, you are you are in some way giving them consequences that their mental state cannot escape. Well, here's where I think so if you incorporate some elements of restorative justice, which he doesn't talk about in this essay really at all, although he mentions Braithwaite and his book Crime, Shame and Reintegration. But if you involve the victim, that allows for um, for, first of all, an element of apology, which can be which I think is is a very important part of expressing of like not only condemnation from the outside, but like I condemn and apologize for my own actions and restitution. And, um, and this is important and this is a big part of restorative justice, reintegration for the offender once they've made things right as much as possible into the community, which can, uh, which can, address at least some of the worries which is that it's too alienating or too stigmatizing like this is a way of also making the person now come back within the community and hopefully a little more aware of what the norms are and of why violating the norms is wrong right so so Khan does mention contrition um in in apology rituals this is um <clears throat> page 634 did you say con? contrition <laughs> contrition rituals no, no, no. You said Kahan. Oh, Kahan. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, you, I like things. how you just hear hear Kant whenever I speak. <laughs> um, yeah, nightmares. Yeah. In in Maryland, for example, juvenile offenders must apologize on their hands and knees and are released from confinement only if they persuade their victims that their remorse is sincere. Other jurisdictions use community based sanctions that include public apologies and appropriate reparations. So, so take those acting classes, kid. <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's what I fear, right? Which is 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 that the standard that of whether or not you you appropriately convinced um, the victim or the family of the victim that you're sincere? It it just reminds me of trying to get a kid to apologize and having them say, "Fine, I'm sorry," you know. And it's like, sorry, sorry. It just the and what you don't want is to reward the good actors. But this is why it's not just apology, and I don't like that hands and knees. I think that's stupid. Like. You 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 get them to apologize, however they're going to apologize. But then they also have to like 
come to some sort of resolution as to how to make this right, which can involve imprisonment, it can involve restitution, it can involve fines, it can involve, I want you to, like, work for this shelter now where that takes care of people who uh, have been harmed by people like you, whatever it is. You know, it's not just, I believe that you're sorry. You have to do things to show that you're sorry. And, you know, look... There's going to be some cases where they're just there's no way to make them sorry. Yeah. Like so, then you just do the best you can. Um, again, like prison certainly doesn't make them sorry. Like that they violated. It makes them sorry for themselves, but not <laughs> sorry they got caught. Yeah. <laughs> sorry they got yeah. caught. Yeah. Exactly. Um, here's the point I wanted to make about this. So I, I think that what one of the the good positive claims here is that shaming could work. And it does work in some cases, like publishing the biggest tax evaders in the state, <clears throat> right, on yeah. public websites makes them more likely to to pay their taxes. So I think really what we got to find is to, to tie in the psychology of shame for the kinds of crimes and the kinds of criminals that it's that that is like find those groups of people for whom shame is likely to work as as um, a sanction and use it for those kind of crimes. So somebody with good public standing, a businessman in a local community who's not paying their taxes, they their business would be heard and they probably would, would be really, really averse to having their, their picture uh, posted on a website. Um, but for other kinds yeah, of crimes— Their family, even if it's just their family. They might not care about their yeah, crime. Exactly. Their family. Exactly. That. For other yeah. kinds of crimes, I think it borders on trivial to cruel and unusual— <laughs> And I, and I think that this is where the very point that Khan makes at the beginning that that we have to see what we as society value. Um, is it worth it to make a kid endure sort of the the pub public degradation for something that they did? Um, in some cases, where it might be extremely damaging to them in, in a particularly critical time of their life, or is it worth it to to just have that as something for criminals who don't give a shit? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. But but I take seriously the the possibility that we could widen our our sanctions to to these shames shaming kinds of sanctions when it, we know that it will work so when we know that it will work and that will and, and that it will send the proper kind of message it will send, that yeah, we want to right, send right. yeah well I don't think we disagreed too much, uh, damn uh, it. as much as we tried unfortunately <laughs> to our, to to our shame we'll do to our shame we'll do our best to I don't know we'll have what, what, what can we fight we about next start time some maybe. I don't know. We, yeah, Tom, we, we try to pick a topic that we disagree. Maybe we could with. just say sh we should shame Tom Brady. One one of the things that we wish we could have gotten into is some concrete examples of how we might shame um, in our, for instance, shame him for just having a trumped up charge <laughs> uh, and like a witch hunt again. Yeah, I mean, like I guess that that's actually a good point. Uh, like there was a like, Twitter a witch shame. Hunt. We should Twitter shame him. So. He's so immune to. <laughs> He's Twitter too shame. dreamy. He's too dreamy to feel Twitter shame. <laughs> He's too committed uh, to winning another Super Bowl. All right, all right. We could shame Peyton Manning though. A little HGH. Oh man, come on. Sent to his house. Oh no, it's for his wife. He would have been a little person were it not for HGH. <laughs> Just look at him. All right. Uh, Join us next time for very bad wizards. Brains than you